want to invite my friends, Jeremy and Ashley Shuck. Come on. Do we have, let me grab this other microphone. So, hey, this is a really fun, here, I'm going to give, I'm going to go ahead and give this one to you. Um, this is a really fun moment for me. I, I, the first time I met you was at a conference, and it was actually one of those moments that I probably won't forget because I was in the middle of, we were in the middle of the hardest year that Emily and I have ever gone through, which was last year when we, we just had so much loss in our lives, and I was just struggling. I show up to this upper room conference, and you, I think, prayed for me, and it was the first time that I met you. And ever since then, like, the, just the realness and the humility that these two carry is tangible. Like, every time I'm, I'm around you guys, and I've spent some time with you guys in a Bible study, and you and I have had breakfast and a couple times now, and I'm just so blown away by the humility. And, I mean, I think, I think we can all agree that something that the Lord is doing in this hour is he's actually, there's a raising up of leaders that walk in humility. Because that is what carries you through, is humility. Um, and so they're from Upper Room Frisco, and just really excited. We love, we love the whole Upper Room family and just everything that you guys carry and walk in. We've been friends with Michael and Larissa and just the whole, the whole house. And so can we just stand and honor them? Can we do that? Can we give them a convergence welcome? Yeah, come on. We're just so excited for what you guys carry and walk in and just release all you got. Almost. Hi, y'all. I'm in Fort Worth, so I really felt like the y'all was important. I'm from Texas. I'm from Dallas. So, I mean, y'all is part of my repertoire, but it really felt important this morning. <clears throat> um, we are Ashley and Jeremy Shuck. Thank you so much for having us. Um, we brought a photo. We are parents of five. Yep, that's my party brag. It's what I lead with whenever I go somewhere. Um, <laughs> it feels like Christmas in the room all of a sudden. Uh -huh. Brought a little Christmas to October. Yes, that's. If any of you moms in here know, you're usually the one taking the picture. This is the only picture I could really find where I'm actually in there too. <laughs> so this is what you guys get: our Christmas photo from last year. Um, but yeah, uh, we've been married almost 15 years. This is my best friend. Um, he's also my Yankee. I imported him from the north. I see you. Come on now. <laughs> hey, um, we, we're so honored to be here. I've uh, felt the essence. I felt the presence. I felt the, the anointing. I felt my best friend, Holy Spirit, in the room as soon as I, I walked in. And this place has been a watering hole for the city for, for so long. And I've been blessed uh, walking through these doors many years ago. And um, I want to I want to jump in. Uh, we do have some things from the Lord we wanted to share, but there is such a prophetic spirit in the room. I, I don't. I hope you guys don't mind if I if I just prophesy over the church and over some individuals before we jump in. Is that okay? 
1 Corinthians 14.3 says that everyone who prophesies speaks to men for strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. And I feel like the Father just really wants to strengthen, encourage, and comfort today. And um, I, would, I would love if the worship team came back out because part of the word is for them is, could anyone just call, call the worship team back in? I know they're debriefing. And, and is Marcy still here? I, okay. All the words are for people that left. <laughs> oh, no, it's, it's for everyone, but um, it was really fitting that you began to sing um, Oh, How He Loves by John Mark McMillan. Uh, 18 years ago, I went to Morningstar School of Ministry, and John Mark was one of the worship leaders there. And John Mark McMillan, he had just written Oh, How He Loves, and the reason I say it was fitting is prophetic that you began sing, singing that song at the end is because I was thinking to myself, I was having flashbacks, you know, to 18 years ago when I was first at Morningstar, first heard that song, and I was thinking to myself, I knew John Mark before anyone knew him, before his voice went around the world. And I saw, I saw the, the stage shift into a recording studio. And I saw the Lord put a bullhorn in front of everything you say and everything you play. And I, feel, I felt like the Lord was saying the same kind of anointing for the voice and the sound to go out that was on that song is on something that you guys are carrying right now. I think your name is Laquita. Laquita. I just met you today. I heard the Lord say that you are a voice, not an echo. You have, you have songs, original songs in you that are, are going to be released and in fact, I saw the Lord um, putting a bullhorn up in front of the voice of everyone in this room and in front of the, the, the voice of the leadership and projecting what you guys are saying, even the, the very whispers that you have from the Holy Spirit. I saw him magnifying it. And your name is Justin, right? Justin, I saw the beauty of the Lord entering your eyes, rattling around on the inside of you like an amplifier and coming out your mouth. I want to encourage you that he has called you and positioned you rightly, and you have a, a leadership gifting that is going to be multiplied in these coming days, okay? Um, Marcy, I, I heard the Lord say that there's a publisher waiting for your book. I don't know if that ministers to you, if you're thinking about it, but he's, they're already lined up, literally just waiting. That's what I feel in, in the spirit for you guys. I saw, um, I saw the Lord um, come to this church, come to Convergence, and uh, he looked like the tree of life. In fact, he looked like Treebeard tree from uh, Lord of the Rings. Y'all ever seen? And in, uh, in the second Lord of the Rings movie, you see this you know, tree beard, this giant tree guy. Um, there's, a, there's a dam, and there's one thing holding the water back, and I... And I saw the Lord, Jesus, just like Treebeard, shout over this church and reach forward and say, release the river. And, <laughs> and I, <clears throat> you know that song, uh, uh, down the mountain the river flows and it brings refreshing wherever it goes. Through the valleys and over the fields, the river is rushing and the river is here. And Steve, I heard the Lord say that there was something deposited in the renewal movement in you. 
there is something about the Toronto revival that the Lord wants to release similar but bigger, similar but different uh, from, from this church. I just felt like that the river and that renewal, the Toronto outpouring, there's something that the Lord is going to well up from this place for you guys. And so it's just, it's wonderful um, to be here with you guys. And in fact, um, when Andrew asked uh, Ashley and I to speak, I got a little bit, not nervous, but I didn't know what to say. I was thinking this church is already so vibrant, so healthy, reflects Jesus so well. What, what does the Lord want to bring to the table? And um, something that I love about Andrew is how relational he is, how he wants to connect on such a deep level with everyone. And that's really the secret sauce of the kingdom. He's able to find the gold. And so um, what Ashley and I began to feel from the Lord for today is to bring to you guys a message that's really impacted our life, something that is, is uh, key to who we are and, and how we live. And, and um, if, I know that there's just so much prophetic stuff going on, but ma'am, uh, in the black, black shirt with the glasses on, yes, you just, yeah, that's you. So um, when you walked by, I heard the Lord say, um, um, an anointing like Cindy Jacobs. Are you familiar with? Okay. Um, you're, you're like the Holy Spirit. You just call people into, into their identity. Um, your name's not Cindy, is it? That would have been really cool, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I see such a, a prophetic gift on you. So just wanted to encourage you with that. Um, Andrew mentioned humility earlier, and he's just one of the most humble guys I've, I've ever met. And something the Lord's going to do here is, uh, you know, that he releases grace. He gives grace to the humble. There's an empowering grace on this church. It's going to increase. And, and so, um, you know, we, um, we pastor Upper Room Frisco, and we get to see um, all the beauty and all the messes. We get to walk with people um, through the the greatest and, and some of the worst moments uh, of their life. And we get to uh, speak identity over people. And, um, and we have five kids. You saw the picture. I mean, what have we done to ourselves? It's <laughs> we're raising five kids and, and, and uh, leading a church as best as we can. And um, the other day, uh, a little while ago, I was in the kitchen. And um, I saw, I, I began to hear this argument break out between my third born and my fourth born. In case you were wondering, pastor's kids fight too. Yes, <laughs> happens. So as uh, Jane and Della, I could hear them getting into an argument and it was escalating. And I'm in the kitchen, there's a wall between us, they're out in the living room. It got to the point where I thought I should probably intervene. And so I, I, I walk around the corner and just as I, I get uh, within view of them. I see my, at this time she was five years old, sweet little Della, take her hand and slap her sister right across the face, her seven-year-old sister, Jane, who starts crying. I couldn't believe I, that sweet little girl who uses that hand to brush her, her doll's hair and pet the puppy, just use it to administer the five-fold ministry of sit down. And, <laughs> and Jane's crying. And so I, I take a moment to step past my own anger to begin to facilitate, you know, uh, what, 
our fa- it's our family's version of an apology and reconciliation. And I, I, I begin to remind Della her uh, identity, which is something that I love to do with my kids. I tuck them in and I tell them what I think about them. Um, and I begin to tell Della, the slapper, Della, you are kind and good, and you love your sister. And um, she's like, but this time I, I, I took it a step further, and I asked her a question, and I said, Della, did you forget that you're a good girl? And her lip began to quiver, and the tears began to pour down her face, and she fell into my arms. And, um, and I felt something of the father in that moment where he began to ask me, did, did we forget that we're good? Did we forget that he calls us good? In fact, he doesn't just call us good. On day six after he made us, he said it's very good. Very, very good. See, God made us in his image of love. As he is, so are we in the world. See, God is good and God is love. And when he spoke his life into us, he made us good and he made us a manifestation of his love on the earth. But something happened, right? What happened? A deceiver came on the scene, right? This master manipulator came around and began to convince Eve, God's daughter, something that wasn't true. And we all know the story of the fall. But what happens after the fall is um, Adam and Eve hide from the one that they used to walk with in the cool of the day. See, it was Adam and Eve who hid. God didn't hide. God searched. God was seeking them out. Adam and Eve, after this deception, they they didn't remember anymore in whose image they were made. They didn't remember anymore just how good they are. They didn't remember that the essence of pure love was deposited in them. They saw themselves differently. But do you guys think that the father saw them differently? I don't think he did. I think he saw his kids in that moment poisoned by a lie. But their essence had not changed. What if instead of him being angry, what if he was more heartbroken that their perception of themselves had changed so drastically? What if he was so heartbroken that the kids that used to trust him were hiding from him? What uh, What if they were actually hiding from him because Instead of the, the warning that the Father gave them, if you eat from this tree, you'll die. That warning was now reverberating in their minds, but twisted by darkened thinking of the enemy. And instead of hearing a warning from the Lord, they were hearing a threat that if you eat it, I'll kill you. Instead of if you eat it, you will die. What kills me is that Eve got the answer right. Do you know what I mean? Like the... It was the serpent that said, you know, did God say you can't eat of any tree? And she's like, no, he said that we just can't eat of this tree. And it's, but it's that engaging, he begins to start to twist everything. 
And, and you guys know as well as I do that, um, you know, a decent salesman can sell you something you need, but a really good salesman can sell you something you already have. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. That's good, man. See, she fell into the same trap that we've all fallen into, trying to get something we've already been given, trying to get somewhere we've already been seated. Hey, finish these famous words from Jesus for me. Father, forgive them. They they don't know what they're doing. In that moment, the most powerful moment of Jesus's ministry, he is actually eternally linking God's forgiveness with our deception. He was saying that he could have just as easily said in that moment, Father, forgive them. They don't know who they are. Father, forgive them. They've forgotten that they're love and that they are loved. See, behavior flows from identity. We're always going to eventually manifest the things that we believe about ourselves. We're always going to eventually manifest and make evident the things that we believe about God. And so sin isn't a behavior problem. It's an identity problem. Sin is actually a failure to be genuinely human. Right? Because to be genuinely human is to reflect the image of God. That's what we were made to do, and that's who we are. Colossians 1.21 says that we were enemies of God in our own minds, as shown by our evil behavior. In other words, you can see that we thought we were God's enemies by the way we acted. But were we ever actually God's enemies, or were we always his kids poisoned by a lie? See, if we believe we're God's enemies, we're going to act like God's enemies, but it seems to me from Scripture that God's struggle is not against flesh and blood, and it's certainly not against his own flesh and blood. It's against a lie that has found its way in to his children. We were so deceived that when God himself showed up on the scene, when Jesus showed up, the Pharisees who proclaimed to know this God better than anyone else, that were so deceived that they treated Jesus the way they thought their God would want him to be treated. And so in the name of God, they killed God. And you can actually see this play out through church history or even through culture today. You get on social media and you can see people righteously going after other people because that's what they feel like God wants them to do. And the thing about identity is that identity, those statements are created in us when we're really little. Mm-hmm. Whether they're, they're from spoken or unspoken things. Actually, I would propose to you that it's mostly through the unspoken things. The things that aren't said do a lot to confirm the things that we believe about who we are. So some of those identity statements that um, kind of form the foundation of who we are can be, they can be piled on with a lot of really good things, but m- many of us know that if the foundation is not set or that it's broken, that no matter how many good things you pile on top, eventually something's going to happen to cause it to fall. And some of those identity statements that get in us are, I'm unworthy of love, or I'm bad, or I have to, this is one of mine, this is one that I had. I have to take care of myself. 
that self-preservation lie is a strong one. It's a big one. Um, so then you have your entire life happening, and then the devil is so, he's, he's cunning. And what he'll do is he'll throw things into your life to confirm that bias that you have. Can I get the picture of our family back up real quick? Yes, we're so cute. Um, <laughs> we're so cute. Um, oh, that mustache. I miss I it. I know. That was fantastic. <laughs> um, if you look at this photo, you could tell a lot of things that, uh, about me. I'm a wife. I'm a mother. Um, I'm also a daughter. I am a... I'm a creative. I'm a book lover, bit of a book nerd. I love Jane Austen, but I also love sci-fi and fantasy films. There is a lot that you can say about who I am. Um, you could even, uh, I mean, I, I don't know if this is a word for you, but I woke up this morning and the Lord brought to my mind just the phrase pastor's wife. And that's something that gets said a lot. And I am the wife of a pastor. <laughs> But she's a better pastor than this <laughs> pastor. But um, I'm Ashley. And, and before any of those other labels, I'm God's kid. Or when I talk to him, the identity thing that he said to me is, um, you're my delight. And honestly, that identity statement may look different for each of you, but what he said to me is, you're my delight. You bring me joy. Mm -hmm. um, so when a lot of times when this broken foundation gets found, it leads to what I call the suddenlies. Suddenly, a marriage breaks apart. Suddenly, you find out that there's a young person that you know that has an addiction. Suddenly, a, a minister falls, and we're all like, what happened? The thing that I love about moments like those is that they're messes. And the great thing that gets me excited about messes, I'm a weirdo, I know, is that suddenly there's this moment where you get to actually figure out what the real problem is. Mm -hmm. We get excited about messes like this <laughs> because it's not like all of the sudden they um, had a problem. They had always had a problem but it had manifested because the Lord came close. See, anything that's hidden in darkness gets exposed when the light comes closer. And so it's actually a good news thing when stuff manifests because it's not like they just woke up one day and decided to blow up their life. No, this is a lie that's been part of their life for 20 years. And finally, there's a moment for freedom to break in. Because <sighs> most of us are walking around, we don't know that there's a problem. Or maybe we know that there's some sort of a problem and pain that we're feeling or that we continually ex experience, but we don't know what that problem is. Or third, we know what the problem is and we're trying really desperately to hide it from everybody else. Um, one of my favorite stories in the Bible is actually King Saul. Um, in 1 Samuel 15, there's this confrontation moment between Samuel and Saul where it's obvious that there's a mess. And Saul, uh, it comes to the realization through, through going back and forth with Samuel that he's been disobedient, that he's been rebellious. And frankly, he's been operating like a politician rather than a king. 
He's been trying, he, but he says, I feared the people. And there's this, this thing that Samuel says to him. He says, though you were small in your own eyes. There, oh, yeah, here it is. Samuel said, although you were small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. Do you guys know that Saul had more prophetic confirmations of his, his kingship than David did? Like when he went, when he got anointed king by Samuel, Samuel was like, well, here's all the confirmations that are going to happen. You're going to fall down and prophesy. You're going to see this guy. There's going to be a goat. And every single one of those things happens. Then not only that, they go to like all the tribes of Israel called together. And then they take lots by tribe, not even telling them who king, the king will be. And all the lots end up falling to Saul out of all the 12 tribes. It says that Saul was, he was the most handsome man. He was the tallest man. He looked the part. And it's that moment where, you know, that I, I kind of call it the beauty queen moment where they're like announcing the winner. And they announce him. You know, remember that moment in uh, The Sound of Music where they're announcing the Von Trapps and nobody shows up? It's that kind of a moment. <laughs> because Saul wasn't there. He was hiding in the baggage. He was so well hidden, they had to inquire of the Lord where did this guy go? They had to inquire of the Lord on where he is and how to find him. And I just want to propose to you that as Saul became king, for a while he did okay, but then he began to pander to the people and give them what he thought that they wanted or what he thought would be good or how to, what would be politically correct. And the truth was he never stopped being that young man who was hiding in the baggage believing he wasn't good enough. Saul's lack of identity made him a politician, but David's possession of his identity made him a king. It's like a mic drop. Just distracted by your beauty. Wow. <laughs> These lies are, are um, uh, they find their way into the deepest crevices of, of our mind, and the only way to... Um, undo them is for Jesus to climb in there with us. In fact, the only way that Jesus destroys any kinds of, of deception uh, is from the inside. See, this is what love always does. Love gets in the middle of every single mess because love is stronger than any mess. It's like, it's like a pipe bomb. No matter how locked oh. down that mess is, if love gets in there, it blows up from the inside, which is what Jesus does. He, in fact, he even, he, he'll even become what he intends to destroy. Let me unpack that for you for a minute. See, Jesus never wanted a sacrificial system, and so he became the final sacrifice to end it. Jesus never wanted sin, so he became sin for us to end it. Jesus never wanted death, and so he climbed into death. Could you imagine the moment when the enemy realized that he put love inside the grave? If the enemy, if the rulers of this age knew what they were doing, this is 1 Corinthians 2.8, if the rulers of this age knew what they were doing, they never would have crucified the Lord of glory. They thought, oh, we can silence him and not realize that they put love in the very place where love was trying to get. He never wanted us to have fear or experience the poison of death. 
he had to undo all of our deception. And so he even, he climbed right into our deception. And on the cross, he echoed our broken cry of the Father, why have you forsaken me? Had the Father forsaken him or anyone? No, never. The Father doesn't have an abandoning bone in his body. But he stepped into our lie and echoed it to the Father. In fact, he stepped into the the cry, the broken cry of humanity from Psalm 22, which is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, Jesus in that moment begins to sing the most famous song over Israel. And when you sing the first line of a song, it telegraphs all the lines of the song, right? When he started singing, he is jealous for me, everyone was thinking, oh, we're going to get to the part where he sings, oh, how he loves us. Well, Jesus on the cross started singing, started quoting this most famous psalm, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when you get to verse 24, it says that he's not hidden his face from him. The father didn't turn from the son, didn't hide from the son. He wasn't abandoned. On the cross, Jesus stepped into our deception to break it from the inside. In fact, the last line of Psalm 22 is, it is finished, which is the last words of Christ on the cross. He never wanted us to be cursed, and so he became a curse for us. In fact, he allowed the very thorns that were birthed from the deception of Eden to be put on his head. When God appeared to Moses in a bush, you know, it was a thorn bush, right? And when Abram was about to sacrifice his son Isaac and the angel of the Lord said, stop, there was a ram with its head stuck in a thicket. It actually says in Acts, it was a thorn bush. And so you have God coming to Moses in a thorn bush, coming to Abram in a thorn bush. Jesus comes along, he's stripped naked, and the very deception thorns are placed on his head so that he can carry our insanity down in the grave and leave it there. See, Jesus was crucified in a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. So maybe this whole time Jesus was trying to crucify something in the mind of man and bring us back into right thinking about ourselves and the Father. In the prodigal son story, which we're all pretty familiar with, there is a young man who has a belief that um, his happiness is tied to getting the money that he needs from his dad and going far away and living his life the way that he wants to. Um, but there's this beautiful moment um, where he's actually run out of money, and so he thinks, well, I need more money to be happy, so I'm going to go work for my money. And he's re then the, the circumstances he finds him in, he's eating with the pigs. And it has this moment where it says that he came to himself. And I believe that it's one of the most amazing examples of repentance in the Bible. Um, if you know the word repentance, the Greek word for repentance is metanoia, and metanoia means to change your mind. Meaning in that moment, it, he came to himself and realized that the, the slaves, the servants in his father's house were well taken care of. And suddenly it begins, he begins to be reminded, my dad's really good. My dad's faithful. You know what? He's actually always been good. So if I go back there, maybe I can be a servant in his house. His mind hasn't really taken on the identity of knowing how, how loved he is no matter what. But he begins to remember how good his dad has always been. And it's so funny because there are two sons 
And both of them have missed understanding who their dad is and who their dad has always been. There's no, no greater poverty than to be begging for something you've already been given or not realize that you're living in the king's house. See, when the younger son has this turning point moment, says that he came to himself, could you imagine him out there feeding the pigs and maybe there's a, a, a mud puddle and he, as he's throwing the slop out for the pigs, he looks down and sees his reflection in this puddle in the ground and, and remembers that his father's good and he's always been good. This week I, I, I woke up this one morning at 5.30 and I started thinking about this day. I, th I started thinking about this church. And, and, um, and I heard the Lord whisper, you can't escape a father that you look just like. See, the mirror will always show you the image of God that's on you. It's like if you had your mom's eyes and you had a falling out with your mother. Well, every time you look in the mirror for the rest of your life, you can't escape that. See, the prodigal son came to himself, remembered the father, just like Simba, you know, remember Simba running from, <laughs> from his calling, and he gets to that point where Rafiki has to lead him down to the water, and he sees the father's reflection in his own face. I like, I like the, the Lion King reference. Um, uh, can you guys turn to John 3? Start, we'll start at 314. Um, it says, and as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his Son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. I was reading this this week. It's where Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus. And do you guys remember the story uh, where uh, all, the, all the Israelites were actually getting bit by snakes and the poison was beginning to, to infect them? And so God told Moses, I want you to put a gold serpent on a stand and, and hold it up. When people look at it, it'll draw the poison from their bodies. Could you imagine being Moses in that moment <laughs> and, and thinking that God will... What about a snake bite kit? Like, you, so you're telling me we're just going to make a, a, a snake statue and lift it up and that's going to fix everybody? I'm going to look like an idiot again in front of this entire nation. And the Lord says, no, 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 no. They just need to look at this. And Jesus comes along and says, just like that bronze serpent, I'm going to be lifted up. And everyone who looks at me, the poison of deception from the garden will be drawn from them. I'm just... You just have to look at me. Rather than, you know, I'm go everyone who looks at me is going to be killed because they're bad or they're wrong. Or It's no, there's something in there that needs to be pulled out, something that has poisoned you. It's, sin is less of a behavior problem. It's more of this sin. It's, it's more of this disease of deception that has entered us. See, Jesus came and he's called the great physician because sin is a disease that needed to be healed. You can't punish a disease out of someone, right? He didn't come as the great punisher or the great judge. He came as the great physician because something needed to be fixed 
in us, not punished. Any parent in here who's ever had a, a child deal with addiction or some lie that they believe about themselves, you know that you, you can't force that thing out of them. There's no way to punish an addiction out of someone or a disease. It has to be the slow work of love. See, even when his best friends were manifesting ridiculousness in, uh, in Luke 11, they were manifesting this. They were being like racist murderers wanting to call down fire from heaven and kill people. Jesus in that moment could, really could have taken that, that opportunity to re, like discipline them, judge them, punish them, and think, wow, I really made a mistake in choosing you guys and empowering you so early. Didn't realize you were racist murderers. No, he actually said... Thank in that, goodness we don't have any of those problems today. <laughs> he, he looked at them and said, you don't know what spirit you're of. In other words, you don't realize you've been deceived. See, he didn't seize that opportunity to, to really like twist the, the knife. and He used that opportunity to love them once again. Well... And like Jeremy was saying about punishing, not addiction or something else, as parents, most of us in this room, if our kid got sick or got cancer or broke something, we would take that pain for them. Like if God would let us, I would take that. Yeah, we've, any parent in here, you've had a kid get sick and, and your prayer didn't work in that moment, whatever, they're not getting miraculously healed. I'm thinking, I wish I could take this pain on myself for you so you wouldn't have to experience it which is exactly what the Father did for us. See, all of our affliction was placed on him. He never wanted us to carry all of that violence, confusion, all that rage, and so he let us pour out all of our violence on him, and he absorbed it all without a word of retaliation. See, this uh, sin disease has visible symptoms and these are usually the things that we call sin but like we said earlier when someone makes a mess they're really just manifesting what was hidden in them all along see with jesus um, he not only cured our aff affliction but in that moment he became the ransom from our our captor in that moment he paid every debt that we owed he went into the grave and carried our deception with him and and he left it there um, I don't know where you are. <laughs> um, we're, in Fort, we're in Fort Worth, babe. Thank you. Um, so I guess the question is, if I don't want to make mess to find out, how do I know if I have an identity problem? Mm -hmm. How do I know if there's something um, wrong with the foundation? And I, I would say, how do you talk to yourself? How do you speak to yourself when you fail? Or how do you speak to yourself if you succeed? Um, there is this funny story that I love where there was this preacher and he got done giving a message and, and one of the sweet ladies at the church came up and said, good job, preacher, that was a good word. And he said, well, it was the Lord. And she goes, well, it wasn't that good. <laughs> but even, you know... The way that we talk to the Lord, are we entering in already apologizing for existing? Or are we talking to a friend? Hmm. Um, 
here are some ways to kind of reset our identity from Scripture. Um, Romans 12.2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 2 Corinthians 10.5, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. I encourage you to sit with him and ask him and say, are there lies that I'm believing about me, and are there lies that I'm believing about you? And then ask him what the truth is. And then for a while, it may be kind of hard to, to make that lie submit. Because in the beginning, it's, it's, so, it's so ingrained in us. We're so used to that, that, that line of thinking that it takes a little while of shutting it down and making it submit. But then over time, it gets a little bit easier. And it comes a little bit more naturally to believe the good things he actually says about us. difficult in the church because we've heard a lot of messages about how horrible we are instead of um, how we've been made in his image to manifest love and how uh, but there was something broken in us and I think that right now a reformation is sweeping across the church where we're repenting of believing that the tree that Adam ate from is more powerful than the tree Jesus died on the last atom is more powerful than the first one, right? <laughs> so the thing that was broken has met its match, has met its healer. I, uh, I was driving down the road a couple months ago, and, and it was one of my favorite days of the month. It was bulky trash day. Oh, my God, girls. Get you a man who looks at you the way my husband looks at bulky trash. If I see a nice pile of wood and, like, old furniture, I'm, like, slowing down. Car slows. I'm like, oh, no, no, no. I'll hit the brakes. I'll jump out. I'll go, like, peek through the pile of trash and see if there's anything really good in there. Well, this one, you know what I'm talking about. This one bulky trash day, I'm driving down the road, and I see this wooden bench. And it's, it's maple. It's a beautiful wood. It's a slap bench. It's got a broken leg on it. And I think could probably fix that it's a cool bench so I just grab it and I throw it in the trunk of the car <laughs> this I don't even have the suburban this time I have this sedan so it's sticking out the open trunk it's got it's got a bunch of mud on one side of it so I get at home and I just I clean it off and I put some some uh min wax on it just make it look shiny again and as I'm cleaning it I, I turn it over and I see a, a plaque on the bottom of it, and it looks pretty cool. It's like a, a brass plaque, and it says it's a uh, George Nelson by Herman Miller. And I, I think somebody this, knows. And so I, I just Googled it. This bench is worth two thousand dollars. Just has a one of its maple legs is broken, and I've got a buddy that's a carpenter, and so me and my buddy make a new maple leg for it, put it on there. And uh, <laughs> I have it listed right now. For if anyone's interested. <laughs> what, but here's the thing. What happened in that moment is like this. Anyone. What, what happened in that moment is this beautiful picture. <laughs> the joy of the Lord. <laughs> this, is the, this is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit finding someone that has been uh, 
covered in mud, has a, a, a broken leg, but the plaque of the maker is still on us. The imprint of hey. our maker and the imprint of the maker determines our value. And so all, we, all needed, that needed to happen is the carpenter needed to come along and fix the broken thing. And now he has displayed us to the world saying, look at what the world thought was broken that was actually mine. Hey, hey. that's good, babe. <laughs> Even Paul, so like in, in Galatians, when Paul is talking about when he was a jerk, a deceived jerk, not, and going around murdering Christians who he now was. And he's saying like, you've heard of my ways. You heard about how I was persecuting the church and murdering the church. But then God in his mercy who appointed me from my mother's womb chose to reveal his son in me. Not to me. So when Paul was knocked off his donkey in that brilliant light, something awakened in him, and it was the seed of Christ, the imprint of the maker, and the things that were broken were made well. And when Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He knew that Saul was persecuting the other Christians, but what Paul didn't realize fully in that moment is that the way that he was treating his own heart was persecuting Christ. Let me say that again in a different way. See, Jesus doesn't just live in your heart. He is your heart, and the way that you treat your heart is the way that you treat Jesus. That is the seed of Christ. And here's something else that you should know. Um, you are not what you do. Be that your profession or the addiction that you struggled with this week. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a saying in our, in our world, in our family, that um, if you can't talk about it, it owns you. And so part of this process of realizing your identity of who you are means get into the light. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean, fi- it means find someone safe. And it doesn't mean that you have to have it all buttoned up and fixed up and telling someone to be like, but I'm not going to do it again. I'm, you know, I'm good. I'm all fixed. I don't want, but I wanted you to know. It looks like saying, hey, I have this going on right now and um, I don't know what to do and I just need someone to walk with me. Because that w- that's what Jesus wants to do. I used to think that going through hard seasons looked like I was there to get a tool to put in my tool belt and use later for him. And then I had several hard seasons that kind of rolled into another like waves. And I was like, why isn't the tools that I have working to get me out? Find the exit sign. Stop feeling pain. And the truth was, while he does want to do that for us, more than anything, he just wanted to walk with me through it and be there for me in it. And so I'm not entirely sure how much time we have, but we really want to pray for people. We want to facilitate a moment for the Holy Spirit to come and undo any of the lies that we've been believing about ourselves. Or about him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. See, we we preach on the, the, I major on the goodness of God. I major on the mercy of Christ. I major on his kindness because it's his kindness that leads us to. Repentance. So which means that repentance is kindness encounters. 
when we preach the kindness of God, it's the very thing that begins to shift the foundations of the way we think about ourselves and him, which then leads to us uh, that the way that we live matches the truth of who we are. When the way of our being matches the truth of our being, we begin to operate in wholeness, manifest Christ in the world unlike we ever have before. And so um, you, guys have, you guys know how to do this. Your Convergence Church, can we just stand together? And I want, if you can imagine that there is a, a button in your soul that says striving, you can just click it off because we're not going to strive in this moment. We don't have to grunt or force an encounter. You know, what would happen if we didn't press in, but we just lean back? We'd find out in whose arms we were resting, wouldn't we? So Holy Spirit, right now, we, we lean back into your love again. We fall back into your arms. Woo! Shed Rabba Sundarataka. Thank you, Lord, that no matter how hard we tried, we couldn't seat ourselves in heavenly places, so you did. Thank you, Jesus. We're not always great at receiving. We're really good at doing. So like Andrew was singing earlier, he loves us, just even if you hear in your head, you love me. Oh, how you 